The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. Atonement is an Old Testament concept. It's not a New Testament one. It's a concept that has to do with the Hebrew people under the law of Moses. And um, how many have ever... Uh, you've been tasked with uh, or, or seen this uh, or heard this phrase. How many have ever heard sweeping it under the carpet? You've, you've heard that before, right? And that kind of has to do with that, you know, the young boy's mother tells him to sweep the room and to clean up. And, you know, he's sweeping. He finds these piles and piles of dirt. It has nowhere to dispose of them. And so just kind of uh, maybe this would be more applicable to our day, sweeping it under your bed, some of you young people, right? How many know when your parents say go clean it doesn't mean shove everything underneath your bed. Or How about this one? In your closet? Come on, some of the adults, we still struggle with that, all right? Uh, just shove it in the closet, deal with it later. And uh, that kind of idea, sweeping under the carpet, uh, shoving in the closet, hiding it, uh, covering it up so it can't be seen, uh, was really kind of that Old Testament concept of atonement. And, uh, you know, that, that notion, it, it, it kind of provided this... This Old Testament atonement provided a way to sweep the sins of the people kind of under the rug so they weren't seen. The sins were, were covered up, and the covering up uh, of sins was precisely the idea that the word in the Old Testament atonement uh, had, to, had to deal with or meant to convey. In fact, the word atonement in the Hebrew literally means to cover. Uh, that's what it means, to cover up. And, and the same Hebrew word is used in connection with, with Noah's Ark. The pitch was completely uh, meant to cover, it's the same word, uh, cover the ark. Covering it in this way uh, was enabling it to survive uh, the flood and the tide of God's wrath. And so that covering uh, kept those within the ark safe, and that's why they completely covered it. Uh, It kept them sealed, it kept them safe uh, from the wrath of God that was being poured out on the world. So that covering... And everyone knows that sweeping things under the carpet is no real solution, right? How many know it's still there, it needs to be dealt with, it's just unseen. Uh, It's not gone, the problem of the dirt is still present. And how many know that even in this Old Testament uh, way of covering for the sins, the sins were still there, they still needed to be dealt with, by faith they accepted this procedure that God gave them was meant to, again, foreshadow the things that were coming. God allowed it in the Old Testament times because all along he had the New Testament plan in mind. He had all of this completed in his mind. It was already finished and done and it had not yet taken place in the fullness of time yet, but as far as the Father's uh, uh, sovereign plan over all things, it was already done. Before the foundation of the world, it was complete. It was, it was finished. And so the, the Day of Atonement, the Old Testament, was a detailed enactment parallel, paralleling really what happened on Calvary uh, at the cross. And even the most casual reading here of Leviticus chapter 16 quickens kind of our awareness to sin, doesn't it? I mean, as we read that, I don't know about you, uh, but what I came away with in reading this passage is that, boy, God really, really, really uh, needs to deal with sin in our lives. Sin is not something that we could just be casual about. Sin is not something that we could just allow in our lives. And there were some 40 separate steps required by the ritual of the Day of Atonement, and all of them had to do with sin. And the people of Israel assembled to watch and to listen. They did nothing. There was nothing they could do. 
they couldn't partake in any of these procedures. They had to just stand there and watch and listen to what was going on because there was nothing they could do to cover for their own sins. There was nothing they could do to care for their their own sins. Everything was done by the high priest in the Old Testament. In our day, that was a picture of everything being done by Christ, our high priest. That nothing could be done by the people. It all must be taken care of by the high priest. And so there's some things that are here that I want to talk about tonight as we examine ourselves before we take the Lord's table. And there's three things I want to draw your attention to. And number one, that is dealing with personal sin. Dealing with personal sin. The first part of the ritual had to do with the personal sin of the high priest. Did you read that? He was in no condition to act as a representative for the people or as a type of Christ until God had first dealt with the sin of the high priest and his guilt. What a revelation this is to us. Here's a man that was chosen and anointed by God. He occupied himself daily with spiritual things, but yet he was a poor sinner just like everyone else who had sins that needed to be dealt with. That The high priest in and of himself could do nothing for the sins of the people until his sins were first covered up, until his sins were first uh, dealt with. And uh, boy, what a reminder it is to me that being in full time in the Lord's work doesn't exempt even the choices of God's saints from sin. Being an ordained minister of the sanctuary makes any sin that much more serious and culpable in God's eyes and no less than 15 steps had to be taken by the high priest here before he could act on the other people's behalf. Look at this. He took a young bullock to be used as a sin offering for his own sin. Uh, he, He took a ram to be offered as a burnt offering for himself. He then washed himself. He put on holy linen garments. He took two goats and set them aside to be used as a sin offering for the people. He took a ram to be used as a burnt offering for the people. He brought his bullock before God and he presented it. Then he presented the two goats to God. He cast lots over the two goats. One was chosen to die and have its blood shed. The other, called the scapegoat, was to bear away the sins of the people from the camp. Uh, The high priest sacrificed the bullock as a sin offering for himself and for his family. And then the high priest took a censer and filled it with burning coals from the altar. He filled his hands with incense. He put the incense on the burning coals in the censer so that the cloud of fragrant smoke might envelop him, hiding him from the Holy One enthroned. And then he took the blood of the bullock in his hands, and he went into the Holy of Holies that was beyond the veil, and he sprinkled the blood that was on his hands on the east side of the mercy seat seven times, the Bible says. What did this, what, what did all this detail, what did this, all, all this elaborate uh, instruction, what was, it, what was it doing? Well, the first thing that arrests us here is that a, that a goat, a very young goat, a, a kid, was sufficient to cover all the sin and iniquity of a, an entire nation. Think about that. Between two to three million people. This, this one goat is, is sufficient to take care of all of their sin and to cover all of their sin. But for the high priest himself... What did he have to do? He had to kill a full-grown bullock, an animal that was fully grown with all of its vigor, with all of its strength, had to be killed for him, for his family, for his home. And sin in one of the Lord's anointed servants calls for special and weighty measures. God sees the enormity of the sin when his consecrated servant is involved. He cannot dismiss it lightly in our lives. 
The bullock was slain. The high priest took its blood into the holy place. To his left was the lampstand. To the right, the table of showbread. Straight ahead was the golden incense altar. And then just beyond that was the veil. Beyond the veil was the holy of holies. And the high priest, the Bible says here, was protected from instant death by the blood once he stepped beyond the veil. He was, he, he, he was blotted out, the Bible says here, by the, the incense that filled the Holy of Holies, that showed and advertised His presence. He was arrayed in pure, the Bible says, white linen, symbolic of righteousness and provided for Him by God. And, and here He is, I don't know about you, but the Bible says over and over again that He not die, that He not die, that He not die, I don't know that there was any high priest, including Aaron, that walked into that Holy of Holies having that incense filling that place to veil him, to cover him, to hide him, to alert God about his presence, that he didn't walk in before a thrice holy God shaking and trembling in fear for his own life. I mean, Aaron's sons, we started with that they died because why? They took this process lightly. They, they went before the Lord and they should never have. And here God is showing them how holy He is. Around Him is great beauty. The drapes of fine linen dyed scarlet, blue, and purple. The sacred Ark of the Covenant. The only piece of furniture in the Holy of Holies. It's made of a wood, wood, virtually incorruptible, overlaid with pure gold. The whole place, the Bible says, was ablaze with the light of the Shekinah glory. The light of another world. And now He's there. He's trembling. He's transfixed. He... He, he sprinkles the blood beside him before the seat, the, the golden lid of the ark where God sat enthroned. The golden bells were sewn into the hem of his garment. They jingled as he moved and advertising to those outside of those walls that the priest was still moving, that he was still alive, that he had made it through this process, that he had taken care of things the way God had told him to. And finally, he left but can I remind you tonight that all of this was to take care of his personal sin. You know, that I think tonight as we observe the Lord's table, sometimes we go into this practice and we think that our personal sin doesn't matter. That God doesn't care about the things that we are personally dealing with. But can I remind you tonight that he allowed himself to suffer on the cross for those personal sins that you and I are dealing with the personal sins that we have in our lives. And it would be a horrible thing for us tonight to kind of go through this process, if you would, to go through this ordinance, to go through this symbol that God has given to us as a church and not think first about our personal sin that needs to be dealt with. You know, as, as far as eternally, how many are thankful that because of the blood of Jesus Christ, your sin is covered? But, you know, the greatest thing about it is that the atonement in the Old Testament talked about covering up, but the atonement that Jesus provides doesn't talk about covering up. It talks about canceling out. Canceling out. Meaning it is gone. It's not under the carpet. It's not hidden until the next time. And that's often what would happen. It was just every year, every year, again, again, and again, and again. And by the way, this was just one of the callings that God gave them to deal with their sin. Just one of the practices, high holy day, an offering for uh, the sins of the camp and the sins of the priests and the sins of the people, the sins of all of Israel. 
God calls us together as the body of Christ to do this in remembrance of Him because He wants us to remind us tonight that He's the one that paid for our sins. That He's the one that canceled our sins. That the reason, come on, are you with me tonight? The reason why you're here tonight and you're not trembling. Because some of us, I mean, honestly, sometimes, let's, let's be honest as Christians, we can turn the grace of God in lasciviousness, the Bible says. We cannot be sober-minded. Uh, we can be a little silly. We can be a little light-hearted about things that are serious uh, when it comes to the things of God. And it's, it always amazes me that uh, when there's a calling like this, how sometimes we could just say, well, you know, thankful that my sins are taken care of. I'm thankful tonight, but I'm telling you, we would be trembling before a thrice holy God if it were not for the Lord Jesus Christ and what He's done on our behalf tonight. And it doesn't mean that we should look at God like He's not holy anymore because He's holy, holy, holy. And He demands holiness in our lives, doesn't He? Be ye holy, He says, for I am holy. But the reason why we're holy tonight is because, not because we put on the holy priest garments tonight. Uh, how many thankful there's no clothes that make you holy? Uh, there's no garments that make you holy. Uh, There's no symbols or practices that make you holy. You're holy because Christ is holy. Because if if you're in Christ and He's in you, you have been uh, given and imputed His righteousness. And now you can stand before God and you can stand before Him and you can be before Him as a high priest. You're in this office. We're all priests of God. Don't we believe that as Baptists? The priesthood of every believer. You know what that means? We're all able to go into the Holy of Holies. There was only one person that was appointed that could go through this process, and all the people had to stand and watch. You know what? Tonight, all of us have opportunity and access to go to the holy place tonight and stand before God. And we don't have to crawl in, and we don't have to tremble. We don't have to put bells around the hems of our garments. We can stand before Him knowing that although we should be slain for our sins, that He was slain for our sins on our behalf, that we don't have to die because He died. And we're thankful for that tonight. So He talks to us about dealing with our personal sins. And I would ask you, even tonight, if you're a believer, just because Christ has paid for them for all of eternity doesn't mean that you don't have the, op- you don't have the obligation as a believer to make sure that you continue, that you continue to follow the Lord, that you stay away from those things. Doesn't God call us still as believers not to touch the unclean thing, to to stay away from? And by the way, not not the unclean things declared in the Old Testament. I'm glad that those things are clean to us, which were unclean to them. But now tonight, you know, there's some things that God says for us to stay away from. And anything that God's word says is a sin, we ought to stay away from. Would you agree with that tonight? We shouldn't play with sin. We shouldn't allow in our lives. And sin hurts our fellowship with God, brings chastisement to our lives. And if we're not careful, uh, it'll make us really foolish in this Christian life and of none effect and use to God. Not only does he talk about personal sins, but he talks about dealing with public sin. Now that the high priest had symbolically taken care of his own sin, and by the way, tonight we're going to do that. If there's some things that are in your life right now that you know are not right, that the Holy Spirit of God would bring, I hope that even as I'm speaking, you say, Holy Spirit of God, whatever it is that's in my life personally that's not right, tonight I want to confess that, I want to forsake that, I want to repent of that. Not for some ritual, not for some tradition, not so that I can just partake, but because I love you and because I want to live in a way that's pleasing to you and be useful to you 
Because I've been set apart for your purposes. So he talks about that, and then he says public sin. In other words, within the church, God talks about us examining ourselves as a church, as a body of Christ. And that the high priest is symbolically taking care of his own sin. He could go on doing something about the sins of God's people. And there were 14 steps that had to be taken in this regard. He took one of the goats, the one upon which the lot had fallen. He slew it as a sin offering for the people. He went back into the Holy of Holies. He took the blood of the goat with him. He, he performed the same blood ritual that he enacted for himself. He was to do this alone, absolutely alone. And there was a stress that was laid on that. There was, uh, God reiterated that, that to him. He was to make atonement for both the holy place, and the holy of holies. And then the Holy Spirit adds here, because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions in all their sins. And so he came out of the holy of holies. He's going to the great brazen altar. He sprinkled it with the blood of both the bullock and the goat. And everything had to be cleansed this way. The holy of holies, the tabernacle itself, and the brazen altar. Now he takes the remaining goat, that scapegoat. You with me? As it was called, and he put both of his hands upon its head. And over the head of the goat he confessed all the sins and the iniquities and the transgressions of the people for the past year, symbolically transferring the sins from the people to the substitute. I want you to think about how that all happened on the cross. That our sins were put on Jesus, that he was, as the Bible says, made to be sin for us who knew no sin. You know what that meant? In that moment, Jesus Christ, both the high priest and the sacrifice, took your sins and mine and placed them on his own head. He placed them on his own life. He took responsibility off of us and placed them on himself. And he allowed himself to be judged, to be punished, for all of our sins, so that our sins could be atoned for, canceled out. And then the high priest then delivered the goat in the hand of a fit man. And the fit man had to lead the goat away from the outer core of the tabernacle, out through the gate, away from the camp, and out into the wilderness. And the people watched it go away. It went far away, into an uninhabited place, never to be found again never to be seen again, gone as far away from as the east is from the west, remembered no more. This is what God did with our sins. He sent them away to be remembered no more. It was taken far away, never to be seen again. Don't you wish you and I could forgive that way? Boy, we say that we forgive, and then as soon as we get angry with the person, we bring it back up again. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness in Christ is to put it away from us, to say, I'll never bring it up again. I won't call it to memory again. I won't use it again. And that's, that's how God forgives us. And then he tells us, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. You know why some of us struggle with forgiveness? Because we don't look at this enough and we remember that this is what he did for us. This is how he forgave us. And how can we not forgive, who have received this type of forgiveness. How much church have we been forgiven for? An unpayable debt. 
And how can we hold someone accountable for a debt so small when we've been been forgiven of something that should have killed us, that should have caused us to perish and burn in hell for all of eternity? We look at a brother or sister in Christ, we look at our spouse, we look at a, a family member, we say, oh, I can't forgive them for a small debt. But God, Christ forgave us for an eternal debt. He did that for us, for you and for me. The high priest went back in the outer sanctuary, the holy place, where he took off his linen robes and the garments he had donned for making atonement. He washed himself. He put on his garments of glory, the garments he had laid aside in order to make atonement. He reassumed them, taking back the glory that he had known before. Then he offered the ram for his own personal burnt offering. He offered another ram as a burnt offering for the people. The burnt offering was all for God. It was all for God. It pointed towards God's satisfaction in the finished work of Jesus Christ. When Jesus said it is finished, guess what? God was completely satisfied. It was done. It was complete. It was finished. Jesus was not only the Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world, but He is also that ram. Remember that ram that was stuck in the thicket that was offered on behalf of Isaac? When Isaac was commanded to be slain, there was a ram that was caught in the thicket and that ram was sacrificed. That sacrifice was for God alone. And that's what Jesus was to God. He was a sweet-smelling savor, a sacrifice of completion, a sacrifice of satisfaction that all of our sins were completely paid for and it completely satisfied God. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. You say, how in the world could God ever take pleasure in the death of his own son? Because of what it accomplished. Because it accomplished for us, for, for us complete, full redemption. And then what did he do? He took his life back up again, didn't he? It was all done. Only God could have done that. I mean, think about that. He, he laid his life down, and then what did he do? He took it right back up again. He said, it's all done, it's all paid for, it's all completed, and now my life, I can take it back up again and show that I am God. That's who he is tonight. The high priest burned the fat of the sin offering on the brazen altar, and having killed this sacrificial goat and taking his blood in the Holy of Holies where it would answer uh, upon the mercy seat for the sins of the people, the high priest prepared Uh, this most solemn and sobering ritual of all. And then the people, think about this, by the tens of thousands, by the tens of thousands, can you see it? Tens of thousands of people gathering around the tabernacle. They would come, and the second little goat was brought to the high priest, and he placed his hands on its head, and he began the long recitation of Israel's sins, and we can see that that creature as it cowered underneath the weight of the two hands of that priest and terrified by the sound of his voice, this this small, innocent, spotless little lamb. And the catalog of sins went on and on, sins against God in His highest heaven, sins against all manner of people on earth, Sabbath-breaking, profanity, child abuse, child rebellion, murder, adultery, theft, false witnesses, covetousness, sins of omission. Sins committed in a, in a flash of rage. Sins premeditated and cold-blooded. Would the list never end? Some 613 specific commandments of the Mosaic law in force, reminding them with each one 
that it's by the, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in the sight. The unnamed man now took charge. He led the sin-bearing goat away into a land not inhabited. And on they went past the brazen altar and the wide open gate, past all the tents of Israel, past the tents of the farthest tribe, deeper and deeper into the waste howling wilderness, on and ever on until at last looking back, the fit men could see not so much as a smudge of the horizon of the camp of Israel. And then he untethered the goat. The goat looked at him and he looked back and the man turned his back, retraced his steps. The goat was alone, alone with the sins of the people, alone in the desert. And I want you to think about that when Jesus cried from the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That was Jesus, forsaken in the wilderness for our sins, left alone without any provision or protection. For our sins. When all is said and done, God still saw those sins, didn't He? All the elaborate, intricate rituals of the Day of Atonement could not cancel those sins. They just covered them up for a time. The ritual was a cover-up. The whole ritual pointed forward to Calvary, didn't it? That's why John said with such authority, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. In the meantime, the high priest had been busy. The sin question had been settled for another year. And God reminds us tonight about our needs to deal with public sins in our life as a congregation, as a church. Listen, I know that it doesn't take a year to go by for us to see that there's sins within the congregation that need to be dealt with. Are you with me tonight? We should never... uh, Treat them lightly. We should never think that they don't matter. We should never think that it's through God's grace that we can continue in sin. We should say, as Paul, God forbid. And in the type in the shadow here, the Israelites saw their high priest. And then the last thing I want to talk about tonight as we close and before we observe the Lord's table tonight, dealing with persisting sin, dealing with persisting sin. The problem with the sacrifices and the offerings in the Old Testament is that they could not deal permanently with sin. And so another 11 steps had to be taken. The fit man returned to the outskirts of the camp. He took off his clothes. He washed them. He bathed himself, demonstrating that his proximity to that lamb taking the sins defiled him. He came into the camp signifying that the work of taking away the sins of the people was done. The bodies of the bullock and the goat and the sin offering for the priests of the people were taken outside the camp. Nobody touched him when he came back into the camp until he cleansed himself. And you remember the words of Jesus, don't touch me because I haven't ascended the Father. He had to be dealing with, he took, he took his blood into the mercy seat in heaven. He sprinkled his blood on the altar to atone for our sins. He did that for us. And the bodies of the bullock and the goat and the sin offering for the priest and the people were taken outside. The two carcasses were burned completely, including the skin. And when the burning was complete, the person who had taken care of all of it washed his clothes. He washed himself. He came back into the camp. And the people were dismissed to their homes to mark the date on their calendars. And they spent the rest of the day, the Bible says here, 
afflicting their souls and observing a day as a Sabbath of rest. And they were to note the day on the next year's official calendar because it would need to be done all over again. But this high priest, Jesus, entered once into that holy place. And by his blood, he offered once for all. And it was done. Not needing to be done again. How many thankful for that tonight? That what Jesus did was perfect and complete. And this was a foreshadowing of things to come. But what a sobering reminder of the persistent nature of sin. Think about it now that we're on this side of Calvary. There's no more sacrifices for sin. The Lord has finished that work. But more, He has blazed the trail for us right into the holiest, where God sits enthroned. And thanks to Calvary, we can come as sons and daughters where saints of old would not dare tread. A place that they could not enter, we can come boldly to. Boy, we're blessed, aren't we, church? On this side of Calvary, we're most blessed because we're free. We're free. We're free from all these laws. They've been fulfilled. You believe that tonight? Every law fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Completely fulfilled. Not to be ignored, but for us to be reminded that now we can walk in newness of life because we have received the very nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can come whenever we like. We can stay as long as we like. We can talk with Him about whatever we like. I don't know how it could get any better other than one day we're going to see Him face to face and be like Him. But what about those who profess themselves in looking at all of this to be horrified by all this emphasis on sin and blood? There are many that hurl insults in the face of God, accusing Him of cruelty and carnage and what a bloody God and what a terrible thing to do to animals. And what they forget is two things. The awesome, blazing holiness of God and the immeasurable sinfulness of sin in the life of man. Because sin has to be dealt with, doesn't it? It has to be dealt with. Tonight, if you're a believer, you can take freely in the Lord's table. It's for you. He calls us to it. But he, re- he reminds us in the Scriptures, doesn't he? Not to take it lightly. He says to come sober-minded. He says to come serious-minded. He says to come examining ourselves for two reasons. One, you ought to examine yourself tonight to see if you're in the faith. You say, well, of course we're in the faith. We've come out tonight. It's the Lord, Sunday night. Only Christians would come to Sunday night church. It's 5 o'clock. We're having the Lord's table. We're all here because we're clean and because we're saved. Listen, I have to give the warning tonight. For this cause, many are sick and many sleep. The Bible says because they did not consider the Lord's table the way He calls us to. With sober-mindedness, with gratefulness, with thankfulness, but also with repentance. That we would examine ourselves to see whether we are in the faith. But number two, as believers, that we would examine our own hearts and lives to see if there's anything in our life that needs to be confessed, repented of, and forsaken. That's an examination we all need to have tonight. And that's the one that I'm going to invite you to. 
Two, two examinations. Tonight, are you saved? Do you know Christ? We've heard the gospel today. And I wonder if there's somebody here, you say, well, I'm not saved and I need Jesus and I need to be born again. I, I hope that we wouldn't be too prideful as we sit in Sunday night church and, and as the Holy Spirit works in your heart and say, well, I can't, I can't take that step. What will people think? What will people say? Well, I hope in a group of spiritual people like this that people would rejoice. Would rejoice no matter how many professions of faith you made, if there's not been a time in your life where you've been born again, there's not the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. You need to confess your sins to God. Believe on Christ. Repent. Turn away from that life and ask Jesus to save you. The Bible says that He will. But then Christians tonight, what about us? Have we been careless in our life? I mean, sometimes this is what we do. Well, thankfully, it's, thankful it's under the blood. Well, I'm glad it's under the blood tonight. I'm glad you're not going to stand just like I'm not going to stand if you're a believer before that great white throne judgment and be judged for your sins. But how many know that we have to be accountable short term for the sins that we commit now in our lives? They're not going to cause us to perish in hell, but they will bring chastening to our lives. They will bring difficulty to our life now. I know about you tonight, but I want to be pleasing to the Savior. How about you? Anybody else in here like me, you struggle? In your flesh, with desires you shouldn't have, with lust, with, with greed, with covetousness, with anger, with malice, with a lack of forgiveness in your heart. Listen, our prayers are hindered, and if we move forward as a church, we need to do so in purity with God's blessing because our hearts are right with Him. Listen, there's nothing that we can do, in a sense, to make God approving of us tonight or pleased with us. He's pleased with us because of Christ. But I tell you, I want God's approval on my life. I want His approval. You know, how many know you can ex- be accepting of someone because of Christ, but He doesn't approve of everything we say or do or think about? And I want God's approval and blessing in my life. How about you? Why don't we ask God for that as a church? Not just personally, but publicly. But also for those persistent sins in our lives. Anybody have those sins that easily beset you? the ones that you're especially weak to that seem to repeat in your life? How many are glad tonight that God can give you the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ, through this body of death, this flesh that you battle with, that God can give you the victory over those things? Why don't you ask God for that? Maybe tonight you want to use an old-fashioned altar, you want to use your seat and turn that into a place to meet with God. But can I remind you tonight as we just bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment that right now we're entering into a place that in the Old Testament, they couldn't go. They couldn't go to this place that we're about to go to. You're entering into a holy, holy, holy place, but you're only entering there because of the blood of Jesus Christ. May there be a little fear in our hearts for God. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.